the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. We are starting up the weekend. We're starting up the weekend, and I am psyched for this weekend. We've been working hard. I mean, I have to give a, a lot of credit to uh, my everyone in my law firm and to everyone at the radio station. You know, we've all been working hard. You know, you're kind of really into the new year, uh, and, and the, all the city agencies are working hard, and all the state agencies are working hard, and no matter what you think of them, the federal people, the politicians, they're all, they're all working because you see them on TV or hear them on the radio all the time. And I was going to do this big, heavy show today about the United States Supreme Court. But I was like, you know what, folks? You had a long week. You're in the car. You're heading home. Or you're, you're listening on the radio while you're, you're, you're preparing the evening meal. Or you're just chilling. You don't need to hear. Well, I promise you. I will do plenty of Supreme Court stuff. Let's start off with something that's very exciting here in New York State. You know, you guys almost think I'm a stick in the mud because I'm going crazy about gambling and marijuana and all of this stuff well here's a big cheers we could all do uh meaning like a toast cheers as opposed to the wonderful television show cheers um you know a couple weeks ago i was railing about the new state law about gambling it's gonna be gambling for the first time well guess what there is now for the first time in new york state and i am this i'm really happy about this i'm psyched about in the very beginning of the, not the very, very beginning, but towards the very beginning of the long movie, one of my favorite movies of all time, Pulp Fiction by Quentin Tarantino, there's the famous scene between Samuel Jackson and John Travolta, and this is the movie that, that brought John Travolta's career back to life, where John Travolta just came back from Amsterdam, and he was so excited about being in Amsterdam because when you go to the movies in Amsterdam, just like now in New York, you could buy a beer. You could buy a beer in New York State movie theaters. You could buy wine in New York State movie theaters. And you could buy cider in New York State movie theaters. There is no, uh, no hard liquor yet. But uh, you could get a popcorn and a beer and watch a movie. And I think that's long overdue. I'm not 100% sure why we had to wait so long to get a beer in a movie theater. But uh, it was a unanimous vote by the State Liquor Authority, and I believe it starts immediately. I mean, it's going to take a little while for the uh, movie theaters to um, you know, outfit themselves appropriately with the appropriate uh, glassware and, and obviously inventory. It used to be that there were a couple of these movie theaters. I'm not even sure if there's any in New York, but I definitely went to one in New Jersey where I watched La Cage, not La Cage, Les Mis. Um, 
where they they serve food. And if they served you dinner, then you could get wine and beer. Uh, but most movie theaters don't serve you dinner. And I'm not like you know I got it out here. I did that that movie theater thing where you're eating like that's that's not my gig. You know I want to watch a movie theater. I don't need to be watching like my knife and my fork and it's what's spilling on me. But this I'm I'm totally looking forward to. I mean, I will tell you when we were kids in the Alpine, I, I had this jean jacket and and my jean jacket I could was able to hold a six pack, two in the top. Uh, breast pockets, two on the inside hip pockets, and then two in the regular pockets. It was a six-pack. So did I take some beer into the movie back in the day when no one was looking? Absolutely. But now I can do it without looking over my shoulder. So congratulations. And listen, I hope this sends people back into the movie theaters uh, because certainly they need some help. I know it's cool to sit at home and watch a movie, but there is no other experience it's it's second to none. I, okay, you have the best surround sound, and you got Sonos, et cetera, et cetera. Get up your off your butt. Go into the go in a car. Go in the subway. Get on a bus. Go to a movie theater. Buy the popcorn. Those are memories you'll remember for the rest of your life. I remember going to see Rocky, the original Rocky. I definitely know with my mother's parents, uh, where I mean, this is how they grew up, right? And how poor they grew up. My grandmother popped the popcorn at home and put them in the big. Um, bags of, you know, like they, they was no, there was no Ziploc. They were just plastic bags where they had the ties that you would twist because we were not going to overpay for the, the, the popcorn in the movie theater. So grandma brought it in. I called it 50. We brought it in and we sat and we watched Rocky. And like, I'm 54 years old. I was, I was like 10. And I still remember that so vividly. You don't have those memories when you're sitting in the basement watching a movie. So, you know, as per Mayor Adams, we got to get out of the house. We have to go and, and use the facilities we have from a regular old movie theater to Lincoln Center and, and everything in between and create some memories. And at the end of the program, I'll tell you the memories that we'll be creating, meaning my family and my friends, my extended family this weekend. Um, but I do want to touch on some serious business. And this is to be filed under good news. New York State Governor Hochul, um, through her Office of Mental Health, is sending about um, 40 or 50 people from the Office of Mental Health's rapid response team into New York City. They're not specific as to which boroughs or which locations, but it's a start. And they're saying very shortly there will be at least another 20 teams. There's 8 to 10 people on the team. So if you read this, it, it could be... 20 more people or 20 more teams, that wasn't very clear, working together with the MTA, the NYPD, New York City Homeless Services to try to uh, address the problem of mental illness. But I'm scouring through the paper, the newspapers and, and anywhere I could find any articles about this. Here's what's not clear, and we spoke about it during the week. What authority do they have? So let's just say one of the rapid response team members it goes up to someone who was right in front of my office on 45th and 5th Avenue who was clearly clearly struggling with mental issues. I'll just, I won't get into the gory details, but it was someone who needs help. They definitely need help. As I said, had they fallen and broken their arm, you would render aid to them. You would need, this is a person who clearly needed aid. Um, what happens if they approach someone and that person is either doesn't communicate or says, no, I don't need any help. I'm fine. But they're, they're not fine. They're, uh, they're acting in a way. They're dressed in a way. It's right now. This morning it was 14 degrees outside. 
You know, what if they're standing there in a T-shirt and shorts? No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. Their life is in danger. What is the authority that this response team has? Can they call 911? Can they call an ambulance? Can they call a police officer? Can these people be sedated, mildly sedated, to be brought to the hospital? Now, you know, there are people out there like Ron Kuby, who, you know, I respect his intellect, but I don't really respect some of his thinking. And I consider him a friend, by the way. But he may say, no, Arthur, are you crazy? You're talking about sedating another human being against their will? Well, if they're out in the street, and they're wearing a short, T-shirts and a shorts in 14-degree weather. Just just ask any doctor, any medical professional. It does not take very long to, to get frostbite and hypothermia, and you'll die. So where is that line that, that, we gonna, that we're going to draw between saving people's lives and respecting their rights? Uh, you know, I mean, look, the law... Is if somebody, if a police officer identifies someone who is uh, a danger to themselves or others, they can bring them to a mental health facility and they have to stay there for 72 hours for evaluation. Is someone standing outside with a T-shirt and shorts in 14-degree weather? Does that does that is that eligible? Does that fit? Now, someone was, might say, "Oh, come on, Arthur, you do the polar bear plunge every uh, January." A couple of years ago, I think 2018, 2018 going into twenty nineteen. It was 12 degrees when we got to the beach, and when it was like 14 degrees when we went into the water. A lot of people say, well, I'm sick in the head, and I should be, uh, I, you know, I should be locked up. The difference is I had warm clothes. I had a robe. I had towels. I had people all around me. I went in and went out, and it was done. And I think speaking to me, I was clearly coherent, even after drinking a little bit of bourbon before we went in the water. But be that as it may, uh, I'm on the, the happy side of things, on a good note, uh, we should be thrilled that the, the governor is addressing this. Uh, there's $21 million she put in the budget to address mental health issues. In my opinion, of a 200, the budget is huge. Uh, it's billions and billions. And uh, it, could it be $200 billion? It may be. It's enormous. $21 million is scratching the surface for a, a problem where this, the last two weeks, we've covered horrible mental illness episodes. So it's a good start, right? Let's look at the positive. Let's look at the glass half fill on, on Friday evening, but it's not good enough. It's a start, but we got to keep going. We definitely need more coming our way to help these people. Uh, in terms of goodness, let's give a big shout out and, and a huge thank you to the fire department commissioner, Dan Nigro, a sweetheart of a guy. I've been with him countless times, a real gentleman, a consummate gentleman. Um, Mayor Adams said New Yorkers, whether they know it or not, are all safer because of the work he's done, and we all owe him our thanks. Now, Mayor Adams had the prerogative to, I, I definitely mispronounced that word, could have let him, it's Friday, folks, it's late for me too, but I'm doing my best. And I'm fired up. I'm fired up for the weekend. Um, I'm starting it up the weekend. Um, you know, the mayor had the ability to keep him on, uh, he said he said a really a lot of a lot of nice things about the fire commissioner, um, but he's chosen to you know put his own fire commissioner in, and, and I'm not blaming the mayor for that. The fire commissioner is such an integral part of our public safety, and he's done a great job for eight years. But there may be someone now who comes in with fresh ideas, more energy, a little more motivation to keep us safe. And if we've learned anything over the last couple of weeks, how vital uh, that position is to the safety and the health of 
all of us here. We're going to um, come back in a little while, and we're going to talk about uh, a new law that's uh, being considered. And I'm curious to hear how you guys feel about it. So let's talk about Connors and Sullivan, because this is probably the most important part of the program for you. When people come into my office, especially people who have children, because that's what you really want to focus on. If you don't have kids and you die, well, your money goes wherever. I mean, you should still plan for that. Don't get me wrong. But you always want to take care of your kids, right? I mean, that's as a father, that's first and foremost. So what do I tell people first off? I say, listen, you need a will, you need a power of attorney, you need a health care proxy, and you need a living will, whether you want to be put on a respirator or you don't want to be put on a respirator, etc. So where do I send them? I send them about a mile away from my office in Brooklyn to the office of Connors and Sullivan in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Now they have offices in Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island as well. And the best way to reach them is dial 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. It's an easy number. You should almost memorize it. Give a call. You're going to get a free consultation with a lawyer. Not anything but a lawyer. These are lawyers, and this law firm has 40 years of experience doing this. So it's essential. I know it's Friday. I know we're going into the weekend. There's answering services there who can take your call. Or just go on their website at connorsandsullivan.com. Make an appointment. Go next week. Because the only mistake when it comes to estate planning is not planning at all. Hit it. takes me back to law school. So, in the world of music, so should this song, should the, the lyrics of this song be able to be used in a court of law? So here's legislation in New York State that is trying to be passed, and the leader who is trying to pass it is Jay-Z. He's the one who's pushing it. He has a whole bunch of rappers behind him. Um, and then there are state senators in a small committee who have approved it, and it's going to go to the whole uh, Senate shortly. So here's, here's the question. I want you guys to think about this. Just think about it. Johnny Cash has a song that says, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to be the judge. You are now the judge. You're going to determine what evidence the jury hears and what evidence the jury does not hear. If Johnny Cash is now on trial for murder, he's on trial for murdering a man in Reno, Nevada. And we know Johnny Cash spent a lot of time in Reno, Nevada. We know it's beyond a reasonable doubt that Johnny Cash wrote that song those are his words. Those are his lyrics. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die, and now he's on trial for shooting a man in Reno. Should the prosecutor be allowed to introduce the lyrics of that song in their case in chief at trial? Now, I have two judges in my office, Judge Cammons and Judge Leventhal, 
both of uh, you know very different experiences and backgrounds. And after some contemplation, both of them said, "If, if it's it's indisputable that that individual wrote that song, that they would allow that song in to evidence with an instruction to the jury. You, know, you have to weigh the strength of that particular piece of evidence." Uh, what the defense attorneys would argue is that, hey, this is just a song. It's a creative piece of literature. Uh, he's acting as an artist. This isn't real evidence. Uh, David Byrne from Talking Heads has a song called Psycho Killer. That doesn't mean he's really a psycho killer. But in the uh, many of these rap songs, there is some, some really heinous stuff that has been, been t- talked about, especially about guns and drugs. So hypothetically, again, if there is a rapper who is on trial for possessing an illegal gun and he or she, it's indisputable that they've written three or four songs about their gun and I always carry my gun and I don't go anywhere without my gun, should that be admissible? Now, Jay-Z and Fat Joe and all these other rappers are saying, no, no, it should not be admissible. But they do hedge a little bit because the legislation as written, and I'm not saying the rappers are hedging, but the politicians who are sponsoring this what they want the law to be and this is the draft legislation it would set a high bar compelling the prosecutors to prove by clear and convincing evidence that a defendant's creative expression such as a rap song is literal rather than figurative or fictional so basically the law that they want passed is that it's not automatic it's not they're trying to take taken a little bit out of the judge's hands and from the judge using his or her discretion and telling the judge, giving the judge instructions, saying, Your Honor, the prosecutor has to prove by clear and convincing evidence, which is the second highest uh, level of evidence behind beyond a reasonable doubt, and they have to prove that this was the, the rapper wrote this and said this literally rather than figuratively or fictionally. So, I don't know, uh, should the prosecutor be have to be held to such a high standard? Or should it be like most other evidence that it's in the discretion of the judge as to whether the value of the evidence outweighs the prejudicial aspect of the evidence? It's uh, an interesting thing to think about and to debate. Um, I wish they would pass a law that says... Uh, on the public airwaves, you cannot play a song where there were words that are used that we're not allowed to use in uh, in public. Uh, in particular, a very horrible derogatory word that is referred to, you know, referring to African American people. Where you know, obviously, no one's supposed to say that word, but just you know, listen to a lot of these rappers who signed on there. That word is all over the, the songs. That always puzzles me <clears throat> why it's okay to sing about it and glorify it. But if you say it in, in anywhere, anywhere, there's like a zero tolerance rule, um, you're done. Forget about being canceled. You're, you're fired. You're almost indicted. I don't know, man. I, I, I must admit, I'm not really a rap guy. I mean, I, I think maybe you'll hear one rap song uh, in the next segment, but that's old school rap. And um, we'll see. I mean, I, I kind of have a good idea of how the legislature is going to rule on it. I kind of have a good idea how some judges will rule on it, but um, rappers getting involved in legislation about what evidence comes in at a trial, 
that, that, that there's something there that inside of me says there's, there's something not right there. Something else that's not right to me is that they removed the statue of Theodore Roosevelt, Roosevelt uh, in from the American Museum of Natural History. It's been there for more than 80 years. You know, <clears throat> Theodore Roosevelt, if you go on almost any list of greatest presidents of the 46 that we've had, he's almost always, you know, in the top 10, top 12 at the worst. Um, what would, For what was going on in the world at that time, he was the man for the moment. Uh, obviously, he was a New Yorker, uh, you know, and the... The reason why they're saying it should come down, one of the reasons why the bronze monument should come down is that he's he's up on a horse and he's flanked by an African-American man and a Native American man who are walking beside him. And it shows that, like, he's superior to them. I mean, the standards by which we live, you know, I, I don't get it. And just look, just so you know how other people feel, and when I say other people... Um, it's a descendant of uh, President Roosevelt, who I believe is Theodore Roosevelt V, um, made a statement that said, uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt V cheered the removal plan last year, saying, it's, quote, it's fitting that the statue is being relocated to a place where its composition can be recontextualized to facilitate difficult, complex, and inclusive discussions. I mean, you know, to some degree, when we're going to look back at all these years, it, you know what I think of? I, this is a silly analogy, but talking to Lawrence Taylor recently about the NFL and, you know, all the, the way they tackle and they can't tackle and how hard it is to play defense, it would be like going back 25, 30 years now, <clears throat> almost 40 years, when Lawrence Taylor played football and look at all the guys who, when he was tackling, he hit them in the head or uh, he hit them above the waist or below the knees. You're not allowed to hit anyone anymore. And now going back and saying, well, Lawrence Taylor wasn't the greatest defense player of all time. Look, look, he hit a guy in the head. He hit a guy in the face. But you know what? Those, those were the rules of the game. He actually told me that Bill Belichick, who was the defensive coordinator, if Lawrence didn't hit the guy as hard as he could in the head or in the legs or whatever it was, that it, Belichick would, would, would bench them. So, what, why, you know, why didn't you hit the guy as hard as you could? That's how the game was played at that period of time in the 70s and the 80s and even into the 90s. Now, in, in almost 2030, it, it's played differently, and there are different rules of the game. But you don't go back and look at the guys who played under those rules and say they sucked. Not at all. Under the rules that were in place at the time, they were the best at what they did. And under the rules, and, and hey, hey, folks, those rules maybe were totally wrong the way they played football. There's all these guys walking around with concussions, et cetera, et cetera, who have brain damage. So it was wrong. But that's the, those were the rules. Those were the standards. And by those standards, these guys were great. Now we're going to go back and look at all the way down to Thomas Jefferson, looking at the, the standards of the world, not of America, the standards of the world. Because what everyone's, they're taking uh, Thomas Jefferson's statue out of City Hall because he, he owned slaves. They were, people owned slaves all over the world. It wasn't an American thing. It was a world thing. There were slaves in Africa that were, that, the African men were the slave owners of other African men. By those standards, 
they weren't doing anything wrong. By today's standards, they were doing something horrific, horrific. But to measure people by by changing the rules of the game, it's just it doesn't make sense to me. And I may be a hundred percent wrong. And I know that there's some people who I'm very close with who tell me I'm a Neanderthal for speaking like this. But I just I do draw I do draw that analogy. I do that draw that sports analogy thinking of, of my friend Lawrence. Um I don't know. I was trying to keep it light today, but I guess that wasn't that light. But we're going to keep it light for the second half. Um, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to talk about a couple of people we lost, but we'll enjoy their music. And um, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you're in your car. I hope you're almost home. I hope you're excited for the weekend. And we're going to take a quick break here at the bottom of the hour, and we'll be back right after these messages. I'm Keith Peters in for Lou Dobbs. Federal judge blocks Biden vaccine mandate for federal employees and a new $1.5 billion hotel deal is unwrapped. Those stories next. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance or if like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now, 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. Another legal setback for President Biden as a federal judge in Texas today blocked the White House from enforcing Biden's vaccine mandate for federal employees while litigation against it proceeds. The judge chastised the president for trying to impose a mandate with a stroke of a pen and without input from Congress. The White House plans to appeal this latest ruling. Starwood Capital Group is joining forces with real estate investors Blackstone Incorporated in a $1.5 billion bet on extended stay hotel brand Woodspring Suites. Woodspring Properties are currently part of the Choice Hotels Group and specializes in guests who stay on site for several weeks or longer. On Wall Street, stocks closed lower today. The Dow Jones Industrials lost 450 points. Please join Lou three times each day for his updates right here on this station. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. News, opinion, passion. This is AM 970, The Answer. Generally clear skies, 20 degrees on this Friday evening. What's going on? We have the answer. Well, a prayer vigil is being held tonight for a baby girl shot in the Bronx this week during a gun battle between two men. Mayor Adams and the New York City Police Commissioner are attending. The suspects still haven't been caught. Police are urging the community to come forward with any tips. New York City Fire Commissioner Dan Nigro will be stepping down. Mayor Eric Adams thanked Nigro for his lifetime of public service to New York. Nigro is the fourth longest serving commissioner in FDNY history, having served across seven decades. 
His retirement takes effect February 16th. And an elderly driver is in the hospital after driving off a ramp to the Bruckner Expressway into a construction site in the Bronx. It appears that the 82-year-old driver was injured after being pulled from the vehicle this morning on Zarega Avenue. The man was said to be alert and conscious, but in serious condition at a local hospital. It's not clear what caused the man to lose control. And cases of COVID in New Jersey continue to decline. State health officials say the seven-day average of positive cases dropped for the 11th consecutive day to under 1,100. That's down 53% from last week. Taking a look at the traffic across the Hudson, going back to New Jersey at the Holland Tunnel, a 20 to 30-minute wait. Citybound side, we're okay. 15 to 20 out at the Lincoln. Inbound, we're good. George Washington Bridge into and out of the city. That's really not bad. In New Jersey, Turnpike northbound truck lane still jammed up approaching exit 10. Hopefully, though, that gets better. An accident just cleared from the roadway. Tunnelly Avenue northbound in North Bergen right by 91st Street. That is an accident. In Paramus, southbound 17 coming to Midland Avenue, a crash. Partly cloudy skies, cold tonight, low 15. Sunshine tomorrow, high 29. Partly sunny on Sunday with a high of 35. Sunshine for Monday, high 32. Clouds on Tuesday with a chance of some snow, high 41 in the afternoon. And now you know what's going on. I am Mike Barker on AM 970, The Answer. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. show. Say that show. Say it out loud. Say it out loud. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Bubba, Grady, and Esther. Rallo. Lamont. And of course, Fred Sanford. Sanford and Son. Happy 50th birthday, Sanford and Son. Happy 5-0. I, I hear that song, and it just a smile comes to my face ear to ear. You know, I was a little too young. No, I was much too young to appreciate All in the Family, which was the first big Norman Lear comedy. Um, my initial recollections of All in the Family as a young person, because it started, I think I was four, five or six, but throughout the ages, because then when it went into syndication, was my father sitting at the the, the kitchen table, just banging the table, re screaming, laughing, screaming, and, and all these jokes when you ten are going over your head about politics and meathead and all of that. But then when Sanford's son came out, the characters were just unbelievable. I mean, the woman who played Ann Esther, I used to know her name. She's just she, you. you you beady-eyed fool, you fishy-eyed, beady-eyed fool. It was brilliant. And I read recently how it all came to pass was Norman Lear was out in Vegas, and he was the one who, who wrote All in the Family. And he was out in Vegas, and he saw um, Fox, Red Fox, at a comedy club. And Red Fox was known for being really raunchy, very obscene. Um, but he was hysterical. And there were other folks involved, and they said, we have to... Um, 
we got to figure out something to do with this guy. They went back. They met with Red Fox backstage, and he said he would be open-minded about doing a, uh, a television show, and he would clean up his act to meaning his language for a television show. And there was a show in England called Steptoe and Son, which was very similar, having to do uh, with a with a family in the junkyard and all of that. And Sanford and Son really opened the door for the African-American sitcom. Um, back then, most of the television shows, if not all of them, um, were not African-American-centric. They had maybe some characters, um, which, like, in All in the Family, you know, George Jefferson eventually came in, and um, was it Leroy? I think it was Leroy, was his glorious friend. But there wasn't anyone who was the main uh, the character, and that was it. After Sanford and Son came on, then you had, you know, every, the good times and the Jeffersons, and, and it really opened the floodgates. And it was a tremendous hit right off the bat uh, for NBC. And, um, you know, someone bought me the box set for Christmas. I loved Sanford and Son. And here's why Sanford and Son and All in the Family and MASH, you put those on right now. And they're still fantastic. And the Honeymooners and I Love Lucy and Seinfeld, they're just fantastic. So I pardon me for gushing about Sanford and Son, but that when I hear that song, and when I saw it in the newspaper last night, I was like, gotta do gotta tell the folks out there listening about Sanford and Son the way I tell the folks out there about my friends at Platinum Mitsubishi. Um, normally, uh, at least once a month, I go down to the showroom in Freehold, New Jersey, right on Route 9, to go visit uh, Angelo and Michael. If you want to see what kind of cars they have on the lot right now, you could go to platinum-mitsubishi.com. Uh, or you could pick a different car that you want if you don't want a Mitsubishi or if they don't have anything in their inventory. And you could just call them and tell them what kind of car you want and what your budget is. And if you have any issues with your credit, they will get you the car that you need. 732-863-2788. 732-863-2788. platinum mitsubishi Dot com, and you say Idala sent me, or Arturo sent me, or Arthur sent me, or the guy who loves <clears throat> Sanford and Son sent me, and you'll all be set. <clears throat> Speaking earlier of Lawrence Taylor, in local New York news, because right now, folks, this is the only local station you're gonna uh, talking about all these different topics you're gonna find. The New York Giants announced today a new general manager, 42 year old Joe Schoen. Um, I, you know, people who aren't into sports think it's no big deal. The New York Giants are a huge deal in this city, especially during this whole corona period and we're trying to get back on our feet. They bring so much revenue when they're doing well into the whole tri-state area. Um, besides just going to the games, all the apparel that they sell, they, you know, when they're playing and they're winning, the bars get crowded and people have house parties to, to watch them. And that's all money generating. And it's all job generating. The Giants have not been good. Five years of losing. Five years of losing. Uh, they need help. So where did they reach for help? Right here in the great state of New York, the Buffalo Bills. And yes, folks, the Buffalo Bills are the only true New York team. Let's face it, the Jets and the Giants, I believe they practice even in New Jersey, and they play in New Jersey. But the Buffalo Bills here in Buffalo, New York, uh, they've been great. And they are playing a huge game this Sunday night at 6.30. It'll be the Buffalo Bills against the favored Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, it's a rematch of last year's playoffs where the Buffalo Bills came up short. 
but we are going to be rooting for them hard Sunday night after hopefully having a great weekend, albeit a very cold one, supposed to be real cold. Um, where I'm going, it's supposed to be negative five at night. So I don't think they're gonna, there's going to be any outdoor cigar smoking this weekend. Plus, you know, I'm a radio guy now. I got to protect my cords. You know, man, this is, this is a very important gig. I can't flood my cords with that horrible smoke. All of those, uh, all the folks who like Batman, as I do, from when I was a little little kid with Adam West, da 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 Batman. Um, they the new Batman movie is coming out. It will be the longest Batman movie of all time. It's almost three hours long. Uh, I think it's two hours and 47 minutes. Then plus the credits is just just shy of three hours. That will be coming out soon. And that will be very exciting at the box office because all of these movies do very well. The Spider-Man movie was was fantastic box office hit hit for even for regular times, despite the COVID times. Those Avengers movies through the roof, the money. I, I think it's the number one. I think it's that now the Avengers movie, the last one, was the most, the biggest money maker ever. Um, but as we said earlier, go out and go to the movies. Go out and go to the movies. It's the way to go. A big commendation, thumbs up to Pete Davidson, the actor, or whatever he is. He's everything and everywhere. And God bless him from Staten Island. And Colin Jost from also from Staten Island. You know what they bought together? The Staten Island Ferry. A Staten Island Ferry. A Staten Island Ferry that was bought, but was put together in 1965. 1965, they, this ferry was built. Now, just think for one second, folks. 1965, who would that ferry be named after? Maybe who had left us just a few years before. November 22nd, 1963. Yes, this decommissioned Staten Island Ferry, known as the John F. Kennedy Ferry, um, it doesn't even run. It can't even move. Uh, and they didn't buy it alone, Pete and Colin. They brought in a partner, uh, Paul Italia. Now, with a last name with Italia, you know this is going to be a success because they paid $280,000 for it. They have a tugboat taking it out of uh, the ferry terminal. Actually, there's like some time limit. They had like one week to get it out of there. Um, and it's going to a ship shipyard to obviously get a new engine put in there, but they're going to retrofit the whole thing. And it is going to be a live entertainment space. It's going to be a new New York City attraction. I love it. Folks, I love it. This is, you know, when we were talking about Keanu Reeves um, and putting money in for cancer and Cardi B paying for the funerals. You know what? This is a, a, a public service. The $280,000, I mean, for these guys, it's not a lot of money, but... It's the effort. It's the energy. And, they, you know, they'll wind up promoting it. They're not just going to do this and just, oh, let's, let's retrofit it with, with uh, making it an event space and walk away from it. They're going to make it a new New York City attraction, and that's fantastic. A floating, I just hope it's not a floating casino, but it, they, that's not what they've, they've said it's going to be. They said it's going to be somewhere you could have um, concerts and uh, comic uh, comedian shows. What you call those comic shows, uh, Matt? Stand-up shows. Stand-up shows, right? Things like that. So that will—that's um, very exciting. What wasn't so exciting was what, what I read about what happened in Maryland. Some poor guy was found dead, forty-nine years old, in his house, laying on the floor, or is it lying on the floor? I don't know. Someone will correct me. He was on the floor, found on the floor. Well, actually, his neighbors looked in the window when they hadn't seen him in a couple of days, and he was on the floor. And then they called EMS. And, uh, Matt, you have any idea what they found when they walked into his house besides him laying on the floor? 
Can't say that I do, but I know you're going to tell me. 125, drum roll, brrr, snakes. Oof. Uh. Venomous and non-venomous. Uh, this just happened. Um, you know, may the man rest in peace. Uh, they have not done an autopsy yet to see, you know, did he get bit by one of these snakes and, and is that what killed him or did he die of natural causes and then the snakes got out? Of course, they did the right thing. They called the Humane Society and I think all of the snakes were captured and taken to appropriate places. Um, and I don't know what kind of weekend you're heading into, but I have had a pretty damp January when it comes to alcohol consumption. And on TikTok, something that went viral is a hangover cocktail. It's not that, like, fancy. It's water, lemon, ginger, and turmeric. And she tells you what percentage to put in there. But, you know, have a bunch of have a multivitamin, a couple Advils, a big glass of water, and you'll be fine. Warren Zevon, Werewolves of London. Crank it up, Matt. Crank up a little Werewolves of London. I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox Business Report. Stocks falling for the day and for a third straight week. Investors are concerned about the prospect of higher interest rates and inflation. The Dow falling 450 points, the Nasdaq down 385, S&P 500 down 85. And IBM is selling the data and analytics assets from its Watson Health business to investment firm Francisco Partners. The deal is the latest move by IBM to refocus its core business around the cloud. And semiconductor giant Intel is planning to invest at least $20 billion in new chip-making capacity in Ohio, just outside of Columbus, adding to its effort to expand its chip-making business. And Shell officially changing its name and ditching Royal Dutch, which has been part of its identity since 1907. The move follows plans to scrap its dual-share structure and move its headquarters from the Netherlands to Britain. Petrofox Business Report, I'm Hilary Barsky, invested in you. On 9-11, 2,977 people were killed in terrorist attacks on American soil. And the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been supporting America's heroes and their families ever since. Our nation's heroes, people who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities, need your help. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good in their honor. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T. In an era where it's tough to know which news outlet to trust, at a time where it's difficult to find facts, not just opinion, there is an oasis in the news desert. It's the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis, the personification of the American dream, who built a multi-billion dollar business empire, talks with some of the nation's top newsmakers who are shaping the news cycle in the city, the country, and the world. Catch the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning, starting at 8 on AM 970. The Answer.
Is there a wedding you didn't dance at this song to? Is there a party you didn't dance at this song to? Your own wedding, your own party. Meatloaf. Marvin Lee Aday. Born in Dallas. 74 years old. COVID. Gone. 1979. First of all, any person who could be so successful who changes their name from Marvin to Meatloaf. I mean, that in and of itself is like amazing. Amazing. Imagine I go from Arthur to Chicken Parm. Yeah, that's me. I'm Chicken Parm. Um, but when you really think about it, like it, it, it's like normal that we call the guy Meatloaf, but that's just not normal. Um, but sadly, he, he left us too soon. <laughs> Another victim of the COVID. Um, he was really, you know, when, when I was looking him up today, 1973, he was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which those of us who are old enough or young enough or however you want to put it to um, to remember that. I mean, that was and it still is. I mean, it used to play here in New York. I don't know. Every Friday night at midnight, I think he came on. And I went a couple of times and everyone in the theater would know all the songs. But that song, um, Dashboard Lights, you know, uh, there's a clip in it where um, Phil Rizzuto does a whole thing with the Yankees. And, and I should have asked Matt to cue that up that was my bad um my buddy mario romano knows that word for word and knows how to recite it word for word and when you're at a party everyone does that but he has a couple of other very famous songs that you would know about like you took the words right out of my mouth Another, I mean, that was all over the radio back in the day. All over the radio. And the other one, which was a little more of Lover's song, Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. Keep on telling you I want you. I want you. I need you. I need you. There ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you. Now don't be sad. Don't be sad. He was in the movie Fight Club. He was in the movies Wayne's World. And just to let you know what an impact he really had, you know, when you go on Twitter and the people who are talking about him is Cher, talking about how much she's going to miss him, how much fun they had, Boy George. And, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber, and for those who don't know who Andrew Lloyd Webber is, he's the most commercially successful uh, Broadway producer of all time. Or He wrote these songs. He did Jesus Christ Superstar. He did Evita, Cats, and, of course, his biggest hit and the biggest hit, uh, Phantom of the Opera. He, um, Meatloaf sold 43 million, million records. You know, that's, <laughs> those are numbers. 14-time platinum and we also lost the comedian Louis Anderson today. 
Um, he, you know, he was, he's been around forever and he was in a whole bunch of movies and he was a stand up and he was a, a very funny guy. He died even younger. He was 68 years old. Um, but let's stop talking about death and let's talk about the end of the week. Thank you. All of you who spent the week with me. It was a, um, a great week here for me. Um, I'm blessed to have, um, a disposition where I always look at the glass half full. So there were some things having to do with the glass half empty, but I don't focus on them. I focus on the positive parts of things. Obviously, having Megan Kelly on with me this week was a highlight. Yesterday, having Bruce Teitelbaum, the, the former chief of staff to Mayor Giuliani, was, was fantastic. And on Wednesday night, I got to eat dinner with my son, Luca, my nephew, Nicholas, and my parents. And uh, I had promised you that on a Friday, uh, I would talk to you about maybe a way to relax, how to wind down the day. Uh, as my father uh, always does, uh, and when I say always, I mean always, um, I call this the Padre Lou's cocktail menu. Padre Lou, because his name is Lou, but there's always respect in the Sicilian household, so no one calls him Lou. Um, it's Padre Lou. There's always like some sort of a uh, preface that gives you the respect. 62 years ago tomorrow, it was a Friday night in 1960, January 22nd, my father did not go watch a boxing match and instead went to the dance at Fordham University and he met a woman named Marianne Piazza who did not go to that uh, campus. Well, I don't know. I'm going to mess this up, but either he went. No, yeah, I think it was in the Bronx because Fordham has two campuses and my mom took the trip with her friends in their car. I think it was a Thunderbird and they met and i have to thank my parents for making me possible and my sister lori possible with that being said um a friday afternoon cocktail about before dinner or i should say evening cocktail now um it's we're going to go with it an aperitif an aperitif is actually that's the french way of saying it aperitivo is the italian way of saying it and it's usually a drink that is a cocktail that is dry rather than sweet and the real purpose of it, the medicinal, quote-unquote, purpose of it, is to stimulate the appetite. You're supposed to drink an aperitif before you eat, unlike a digestivo, a digestive, um, which you have after you eat. And um, a, a, an aperitivo, which no one knew about not that long ago, and now they're everywhere, is a, an Italian uh, drink called a Negroni, N-E-G-R-O-N-I. And, you know, my dad always says, that when you're listening to the show here, the Idala Power Hour, you should um, you should keep a, a pad and pen nearby. So this may be the time to grab the pen and paper. Um, the one essential ingredient of a Negroni is Campari. Now, Campari, again, is something that is so popular now. But when we were kids, when we were teenagers, we were the only ones who had Campari. My father was the only ones drinking, drinking Campari. And um, it's very bitter. It's bright red. It's very bitter. Uh, it's originally from Milan, Italy, by, uh, created by a, name, a man named David Campari. And what you want to do now, the real recipe is one part gin, one part Campari, one part sweet vermouth. In my humble opinion, it doesn't matter what kind of gin you use because the Campari is so powerful. The taste, it, it overpowers everything else in there. My father's representing, uh, is saying, you know, you should use beef eater gin. Okay, you could use beef eater. I use Gordon's, which is fine. Um, other people use Hendrix. Uh, 
I probably wouldn't use Tanqueray because that's, in my opinion, one of the most flavorful. But you do one part gin, one part Campari, and one part uh, sweet vermouth. There's a special kind of vermouth called Carpano. Carpano Punta Mes Antica Formula, which means Punta Mes, which means point and a half. It's a very dark, bitter Italian vermouth that is assen- that's essential in a lot of cocktails. If you go to all these mixologists and these cool little bars, um, stuff that in my house when we were kids was like, ugh, that's that yucky stuff that daddy drinks, um, is now omnipresent. Now, there's, there's you know two things here when you're doing your Negroni. You could do it on ice. You could do it on the rocks. And I, if I'm Jerry Crowley and I'm in Florida and it's hot, yes, I would get a nice rocks glass. I would pack it with ice. And uh, what you would do is you put in one jigger of, of, of Campari, uh, one of, of gin, and one of the vermouth. Now, that's not how I make it. I like the bitterness of the Campari. So I go with a 3-2-1. Now, this is, this is Arthur. This is not Padre Lou. So I'm not speaking up for my dad. But I go three shots of Campari, two shots of gin, and one shot of the vermouth. Now, other people who want maybe a little more powerful, they go three gin, two Campari, one vermouth. But what I want is for you guys to experiment and you decide what you think is best. And you can write to me directly at Arthur at ABKLawNYC.com, Arthur at ABKLawNYC.com. NYC.com, and thanks to all of you who have been writing me. I've really enjoyed all of your um, comments and suggestions, etc., etc. Now, my dad throws in a little bit of orange bitters. It's really not necessary. But what Padre Lou insists on is that you rub a little uh, orange peel on the rim of the glass. Uh, and he also says, you know, stir it, don't shake it. Now, again, you know, maybe this is why my father and I were never actual law partners, although we practiced law side by side. He's going with uh, uh, stirring it and not shaking it. That's not my move. My move is I put it in the thing, I shake it, shake it, shake it, get it really cold, and I put mine in a martini glass. You know, I'm up here, it's 14 degrees, out, 14 degrees outside. I don't need to, you know, worry about the ice cubes. So that was a elongated cocktail, Padre Luz cocktail. In the future, they'll be a little shorter, but I wanted to get all that in there because Negroni is an important drink. I am heading to Rocking Horse Ranch right now. Upstate New York, I'm going just me and Luca, father and son, but we're going to meet the Lantieri family and the Hanshaw family and the Weiss family, and we're going to have a blast just being outside in negative five-degree weather. Today is National Hug Day. Today is National Hug Day. Use that. Forget Pancake Day and, and Hot Chocolate Day. Hug the people you love. Hug the country you love, the state you love, the city you love, and make it all about love this weekend, folks. Enjoy football. We're going to have a great weekend. Go Buffalo Bills, and we'll be back on Monday. God bless you. God bless America, and have a great, great weekend. The preceding program, sponsored by Freehold Mitsubishi. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.